you must say it doesn't exist. It doesn't exist. Do I exist? Uh... Welcome to the Whovian Review. I'm Michael. I'm Shelby. And today we're going to be discussing the second Doctor story, The Mind Robber. Yes, <laughs> a world of fiction. Yes, what a funny pause that was. You were expecting <laughs> me to say more. Yes, yes I was. <laughs> this is story number 45. This comes from the second Doctor's final season. Um, it's close to the end of his run, I believe. Um, and we've got Jamie and Zoe. Yep, we have Jamie and Zoe as the companions. And we're Jamie Standen. And a very weird Jamie Standen. Yeah, that was interesting because, uh, Hamish Wilson, what a name, Hamish. <laughs> Hamish Wilson had to step in for Jamie during episode two and into episode three because for one full episode... Uh, Fraser Hines couldn't actually be there for this particular episode. I mean, they did do a pretty uh, fun thing with it, you know, playing on how oh. the doctor like is never very observant about his companions or anything and like well, screws up doing the face. Exactly, exactly. Well, he's also, I mean, obviously when you take apart a face and then you have to look at just the eyes and just the nose and just the mouth, it's a little bit different. Than- I know, but it was on a board. I would have arranged it on the board. <laughs> True, yeah, you could have done that. But I guess uh, the doctor didn't think about that. Just like nobody thought to bring a ball of twine when they first left the TARDIS into, like, the vague mist. That would have been smart. They had a twine later on. Yeah, later on in the the labyrinth, yeah. the labyrinth, yes. Which was very fitting since that's, you know, that labyrinth contained the Minotaur. Definitely, definitely. But also, um, I mean, this whole face-changing sequence with gave them what was a great writing opportunity because we are in a land of fiction and the doctor and it kind of shows that the doctor is very sure of himself he thinks he knows exactly what the face looks like of jamie and it's kind of just a great way of showing that the doctor can be fallible sometimes too oh yeah and it was handled great because he was just like oh i'll tell you later why this happened or oh who knows (laughs) now i couldn't see tom baker getting someone's face wrong matter of fact they probably wouldn't have even written the scene for and some of the future doctors yeah because it would just not their fallibility levels are very low (laughs) but the 12th doctor probably would would have messed it up he can't even tell if clara is an old lady or oh yeah actually he would have been perfect for that scene but um, but Patrick Troughton played it so well. He's like Zoe's like or Zoe's like. Wait a minute, Doctor. You, you how did you not know what Jamie's face <laughs> is? And Patrick Troughton's like, well, yeah, I I I didn't get it wrong. I just well, <laughs> he couldn't quite say what he was doing. Um, at any rate, so they so basically this story starts off with this 
very uh, it starts off from the previous story the dominators where the doctor oh, okay. and oh, oh, Jamie oh. and Zoe have been on a planet that's or in on an island where the lava is coming and sw- and pretty much swallowing up the TARDIS gotcha so, I, I wasn't sure if that was a follow-up of another story when it first started playing I was like yeah. did we start in the second episode <laughs> now we started exactly where we we're supposed to and matter of fact if you had seen the previous story which you haven't yet no. then you would have known and what what happened. Of course, now you've seen the resolution of the previous story, or at least part of it. So. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's a, it's a great little scene. Um, but um, the Doctor has to use this, this uh, special switch that his TARDIS has to take him out of time and space, because otherwise the TARDIS could be affected by the heat from the volcano lava. The volcano's lava. So it's just one of those things where it's like, okay, well, this is a great little nifty way of getting out of the situation. No, for sure. Although I didn't quite understand why he couldn't have just flown anywhere else. Well, I guess he was having trouble dematerializing. Because so, of the heat. Because of the heat causing causing issues with the TARDIS. Now, granted, he said that nothing could get into the doors of the TARDIS, and he also said it's indestructible, so lava well, shouldn't it, really do anything to although it. Although we have seen in, you know, future episode, Back to Fall the Doctor, that at least volcanoes can destroy TARDIS keys, so feasibly could destroy the TARDIS as well. It could it could indeed, so that, that might be something that, uh, maybe that's where they got that from. Too. Yeah, probably. Um, but at any rate, so we know, we now know that the doctor presses the switch, he's out of time and space, and then Jamie and Zoe see their homes through the scanner screen, and they have this overwhelming urge to go outside. Although, hang on, before they do that, though, I thought that this was a great thing that I don't, have never understood why people don't do this more often, is that they stopped, and they said, we should probably change into different outfits, it'll be more conducive to going on an adventure. (laughs) Yeah, that was pretty funny. They do, they do, they do actually change their outfits. Actually, in the first, the for, during the first two doctors, they cha- they say that a lot. Actually, they usually say, "Oh, let's go get changed. We look terrible, or or we're so dirty. We need to get cleaned up." So, well, yeah, but also like Zoe was wearing a dress and she changed into like the, the horrid jumpsuit. jumpsuit, but at least had you know was pants, which is better for like going on an adventure. And that jumpsuit is actually silver. It just looks very dark on the. It doesn't screen. matter what color it is; it's pretty horrid. <laughs> the dress was cute. Yeah, well, the dress. But I mean, yeah, you know, I guess t- the dress was times. okay. Yeah, the Dominator's dresses weren't exactly, in my opinion, cute, but they were compared they were, to they the other okay. outfits that she wears. <laughs> I suppose I really liked. I really liked the cat suit, though. I don't know why. I think a lot of fans like like because it's very futuristic, very kind of Zoe esque. She just goes for some outlandish things. Well, it shows off her figure. <laughs> it does, yeah. The the whole scene when the TARDIS breaks up and Zoe's like plastered onto yeah, the Yeah, that, that was a bit console. gratuitous. <laughs> I think that was done for a good reason. Although uh, Wendy Padbury, who plays Zoe, she often jokes about that one scene. <laughs> Not just not because she's screaming, but because it's basically a full on yeah. rear end scene. <laughs> just to put it lightly. <laughs> so this was a really interesting concept. This whole story. Yeah, we're we're really jumping into fantastical side of of Doctor Who here. This is all f- mostly fantasy based. 
Although yeah. it is controlled by a computer, so that so basically all of this could be hologrammatic, or it could be just a a way of, that the computer projects images into your brain. Who knows what it does? Obviously, I don't think it had the power to destroy the TARDIS. It just had the power to make you think it destroyed the TARDIS. Right. Like, because that might have not even been the TARDIS that they were in when it blew up because... Yeah, because they went out. Because the, the doctor had already left the TARDIS, the others who had left the TARDIS, exactly. and then they went in, so... Yeah, they thought it was the TARDIS. And if you noticed, in that sequence, the TARDIS looks white. And obviously they're in nothing, but even the TARDIS would still retain its blue if it was the actual TARDIS. Right. Well, plus, you know, Jamie and Zoe were both wearing white clothes at that point, too. Their, their clothes changed color. That, that I always thought that that they were traded in for. I thought other so Jamie too, but then like it seemed to not like at first. That's what I thought had happened, but it seemed to not be the case. So. Or maybe because they had been in the nothing for so long. Oh boy, this is so uh, never ending story. Um, <laughs> maybe because they were in the nothing for so long, they actually um, they actually kind of inherited that white nothingness they were starting that was their their journey into becoming nothing you, you know it's interesting i'm glad you brought up the uh, never-ending story because actually at the moment where uh jamie and zoe are like you know hiding while the people are having a sword fight cyrano de bergerac and uh d'artagnan and i was just thinking you know what they should do is they should call in the luck dragon <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yes. We had this massive fight scene at the end where the doctor and, funnily enough, or humorously enough, the master... Not the master we know and love, but... No, uh, the master of the... It's basically a human that was turned into kind of like the puppet of well, creation. Well, in a way, it's a cyborg because it was kind of the human-computer combination because True. the human part didn't even remember any of it. And how tragic to come out and suddenly be an old man. Oh, I know. Poor guy. But, I mean, at least he was well-renowned for his comedy. Right, right, yeah. It's it's better than, like, what happens, you know, shooting fast-forward in Doctor Who where there's a small little child that wakes up as an old woman. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, I mean, you had the carcass and you had uh, D'Artagnan and you had all these crazy characters, Blackbeard, Sir Lancelot. Oh, an interesting thing about Carcass, it's a comic book from Zoe's time in the far distant future of the year 2000. <laughs> yes, right, exactly. Well, no, it wasn't from, I don't think it was from Zoe's time. I think she just knew about it. Oh, okay. Because it came later on. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. I thought they were suggesting that that's when Zoe was from, and I thought it was funny. No, I don't think so. I think, I think the Carcass was... Um, was basically a comic strip she knew about because she was from the future. Gotcha. I think she's more from the two, the later 2000s. Gotcha. Not 2100, but like before 2100. I don't know for sure, though. I'd have to look that up. Um, all I know is that when I was younger and I saw this story, I was like, what in the world is going on? I was really scared about J Jamie losing his face because I really like... It's liked freaky. <laughs> Well, it's freaky, and it's also a lot of this stuff was like the kids that when the doctor first meets the kids, and they're all just very blankly uh, yelling at him all these jokes or riddles that he needs to answer, and and it's basically just for him to understand that words are what he needs to know right about this whole area, which was such a cool concept. The whole like figuring out the word puzzles, but it was also interesting that like you know in order to defeat these different enemies they just had to like convince themselves or remind themselves that they didn't exist and 
you know, it kind of makes me wonder what else could they have done without being hooked up to the computer? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, actually, uh, the carcass is from Zoe's home era. It's actually, uh, I just read it. Yeah, okay, um, there so, we go. So, yeah, I guess, now that doesn't necessarily mean she was from 2000. It could just mean that she was from, at some point in the 2000s after the comic had been created. It was my point. Just wanted to come back to that. Oh, okay, but, fair enough, fair enough. Sorry to interrupt that. Yeah, it's a, and it was kind of interesting. So you've got Gulliver from Gulliver's Travels. Yes. Who is uh, very, like, limited in that he can only speak the words that he was given in the book to speak. I should point out that he's played by Bernard Horsfall, Horsfall who later becomes goth. In, and he actually plays a Time Lord in the second Doctor Story of the War Games. And then he goes on to play goth in um, The Deadly Assassin. So he's kind of a prominent Time Lord character later on, but the actor is. Uh, but I just thought I'd point that out. But yes, Gulliver. Yeah, Gulliver. So he's only limited to, he can only speak words that were written for him to speak in the book. But then you've also got characters like Rapunzel, who doesn't really have like a specific origin story. It's more like multiple tales being told of her, and she doesn't seem in any way limited by what words she can speak. So it kind of seems like a big disadvantage in this world to be from a very specific book or story. Well, the other problem that I... The only other issue that I have with this is that it sounds like they're all supposed to have their own language based on what was written with them. But like you said, Rapunzel says all, all her own words. Well, then how? How does she say her own words if she's a fictional character? Does that mean that the master is giving her her words or the computer is giving her words? But if the computer is giving her words, then she's helping Jamie and the doctor out in very unusual ways that doesn't make much sense. I, I think it might be more that like the character exists and is allowed to just behave as that character would generally behave until told otherwise. Yeah, but that's not established because we've already established. No, 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 because he, he did. Because Gulliver says that, um, you know, as a work of fiction, you know, I can only do what my creator has told me to do unless the master interferes or something like that. Okay. But then again, Rapunzel, I guess, only lets people down or up with her hair. Yeah. she does that throughout the book, no matter what. Okay, I guess that makes sense. Uh, that works. It just it just seemed a little bit odd to me because it seemed like some characters were listening more or, or doing their own thing more than some of the others. Yeah. And, you know, what's kind of interesting with the whole Gulliver thing, the different languages he speaks, I wonder if those are the different languages it's been translated into. Although translating into Latin seems a little silly. So Or, or the places he went. Oh, the places he went. Good point. I think Gulliver went to France and went to these different places to... Uh, which makes sense that yeah. he would learn the language. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. And then we've got um, – we get into other creatures and characters like the Minotaur and the Unicorn. And Medusa. And, and Medusa, which – who, of course, the Doctor, again, defeats her in a fictitious way because he takes a mirror to look at her. Which, but he doesn't do it by the – oh, you don't exist because Zoe's not cooperating even though she's done it several times so far this <laughs> Sorry. Um, so and I, I guess, I guess that's why he failed that test because possibly. they didn't do it by saying you don't exist. They did it by uh, the way that, you know, Medusa was originally conquered. But story. doesn't that make him become fiction at that point? If he do goes by the fictional way of, of solving the problem? Hmm. That's what, that's what I was confused at. That seemed like a kind of a odd thing to put in there. Yeah, I th also thought it was confusing with his insistence of don't 
look at her because if she's not real, then why not? <laughs> yeah, she's not going to turn you to stone if you if if you look at her if she's not real. But maybe he's just giving it. He's not letting Zoe give in to the fact that she could be real because Zoe thinks that Medusa is real. So does that? Well, and Jamie turned into a cardboard cutout for and. Although I think it was supposed to be a statue, because in the Medusa thing, he was like, "Oh, these other ones turned into statues." Right. Yeah. Well, they did because the yeah, but it was very did. clearly yeah, a cardboard cutout. <laughs> Although the Minotaur just disappeared. That's true. So how does he turn into a statue? Uh, statue. I don't know. It's very confusing. Another thing. Cardboard is, statues. <laughs> I thought it was a. Uh, like, I mean, I liked the whole scene where the Doctor and uh, the Master are vying and, and bringing up different characters to fight each other. But I just felt like the Doctor, you know, with his vast knowledge of, you know, the whole history of different stories could have done an awfully better job at it. <laughs> I think I think the idea was that they were bringing up fictitious characters that kids would normally have been reading about at this stage in the 1960s. So... Now, obviously, if I if I were to bring anyone, I'd say, oh, and then Darth Vader came in with his lightsaber, and <laughs> I mean, there's all sorts of things you could add into this. Well, let, let, let's go with, uh, okay, so it's the 1960s, right? Yeah. All right, yeah, so Gen- Gen- General George Patton comes in with a tank. <laughs> you have Superman, then that tank would be completely useless, and Superman was around in the 1940s. Good point. They're not right 1950s. So, yeah, I just... Uh, I get, I get that, but I think it was kind of fun. I guess they were just. I mean, if you're under pressure, thinking about who you could conjure up, that would be fun to conjure up. And plus, it, I guess the doc it, they wanted to make it so that it was fair in oh, the yeah. fights because obviously now when Sir Lancelot comes up with a full horse and full, on. I know. But I'm like, if you're going to bring a full horse, bring a gun, like you know. Yeah, I know, I know. But still, I mean, like Blackbeard's kind of outnumbered there, so I mean, you could have kept going and going. Yeah. They they probably the idea was. I mean, like, like I said, it was fun. I liked the scene. I'm just budgetary reasons probably. Oh did yeah, not like permit General Patton coming in with a tank, right? <laughs> Hence, and maybe they only had control over uh, fictional characters, too. So it might have been that you couldn't pull in real people. Right. Well, they also probably could only do fictional characters that weren't copyrighted. So, like, Superman would definitely be copyrighted. Ah, good point, good point. So, yeah, I guess you've got that. So they, I guess they do have quite a few limits. So they have to go to classical fiction to to get that. But still, I mean... They did. I think they. I think the scene worked out pretty well because it was still. You could bring in the witches for Macbeth. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You you could bring in a lot. I would imagine. Yeah. Well, plus, I mean, just some of the things of like you know, once you've got control over it, you can be like, and a giant electromagnetic pulse sweeps the planet, destroying all of the equipment. <laughs> Again, budgetary reasons. <laughs> They've got to keep the budget. But they did end up destroying all the equipment. So yes, they did. Um, I thought the 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 set design for where the master sat, where the doors kind of had that kind of cobwebby hexagonal look, and then they had. I the, thought it kind of added to the "Come into my parlor," said the spider to the fly. And you walk in, it looks like you're looking out of a fly's eyes. Exactly, but also it just it. I mean, it just looked like it was completely computer computer like. Yeah, um, I like that set. Um, the word set was kind of interesting, where they were <laughs> hiding in the sea. Oh, yeah, yes. yeah, the giant tree <laughs> The doctor's words. like, oh, thank goodness, this is a sea. <laughs> it's like, okay, interesting tree. <laughs> but 
um, yeah, so there were a lot of, I mean, there's a lot of fun that was in this episode. Obviously, the writer had fun with this. Yeah. And it, it just kind of plays on the imagination. Well, it was also an interesting concept that, the, you know, the computer needed, uh, or whatever force built the computer, needed someone human-like to imagine the things. Well, because computers don't imagine. Right, I know. So, so. I thought it was a cool concept. Yeah. Uh, it's been explored before in Doctor Who for other reasons, such as um, uh, the Daleks needed a human child at one point to. Yeah, but to, like, but this is own. like a really on the nose, specifically like literally needs the imagination <laughs> to create the whole world that right. they're in. Um, which is hard to know what that world is. I wonder how that guy ended up there. <laughs> I guess the computer just chose him at random. I mean, it's kind of odd that he's on Earth and then sucked into this computer in the middle of nowhere. Right. I mean, that's kind of unusual. He, there must have been some sort of a doorway. There must have been some sort of a something. I don't know. Yeah, you'd think. That was not very well explained, obviously. But then again, does it really need to be explained? I guess not. The fact that he was there just suggests that they just they went and found someone at some point somewhere in the universe and they grabbed them. Maybe this computer had done that previously. We just go anywhere in the universe, grab someone. I, I mean, it must be a very powerful computer, but it, here's the other question is where did the computer come from? Maybe the Carrionites who, who we find. No, really. Cause we find out about them, you know, years, years later, the 10th uh, doctor and they are, they use words to, you know, make things happen in the same way we use math to make things happen is the concept. And in this universe, clearly you use words to make things happen. The only di- difficult thing with that possibility, I, li- I, I like the idea that, that the words kind of are related, but they didn't really deal with technology. Yeah, but this could be the Karenites from the far distant future. Maybe. Who knows? That could be. Of course, uh, could also be just some other entity that we don't know about yet, or it could be Time Lords messing with the Doctor. Could be. <laughs> maybe it's maybe it's a pre a precursor to what comes next. <laughs> Any rate, how would you rate this story? I thought that this was a very entertaining story. There was a lot of funny moments and uh, a lot of you know. It was a really really cool concept. I do feel like there were some you know plot holes, things that didn't quite mesh in it, um, kind of like why they had the guy writing the stories on a piece of paper, the ticker tape, pushing out the stories, the stories going through with his head connected to the computer, the secondary computer that the doctor was connected to, and the typewriter, all of these things directing the stories, which just seemed unnecessary and did not quite make sense why he would need more than one. Um, maybe but. maybe because he is only one and maybe they had other stations set up just in case. Maybe. I don't know. It, it seemed a little silly. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, you know, like by and large, it was a really fun story um, and I really enjoyed it and it definitely kept me hooked the whole time. I am going to give this one on eight. Okay. For me, this story um definitely is something from my childhood i mean i saw it when i was probably 12 or 11 somewhere in there i was really young when i first saw this story um compared to who i am now and it did 
it did actually kind of tap into my imagination a bit. And although I had no idea what the the carcass was, but (laughs) that was just kind of like, really? Um, The fact that Zoe defeated him was just kind of funny too. Um, Zoe was a little out of character for this uh, story, which I was a little saddened by because she's very intelligent. She's very um, computer programming oriented. And she, in this particular story, kind of became the screaming companion that needed to be the damsel in distress, rescue me, rescue me. Yeah, they couldn't figure out the, you don't exist a bit. <laughs> yeah, um, so I, I that was a little bit bothersome, so that takes it down one notch. Um, and uh, I do wonder if this would have been a better four-part story. I mean, I like the idea. I like the concept of having five episodes, but I mean, I don't know if the, a lot of problems with classic Doctor Who is that it can be very padded. And so I'm just wondering if, now in this case, not all of it was that padded. So I guess they did have enough material for five, for more than four episodes. So that's probably why they added the fifth, but then they had to do extra stuff. So obviously they put in the, the face changing sequence when Fraser Hines wasn't there and all that good stuff. Um, I, I think this is a decently solid story. So I'm going to give it a 6.5. I'm going to keep it a little bit further down the line. It's not the greatest Patrick Totten story. It's certainly not the greatest Dr. Who story, but it's definitely a solid story. Yeah. And it, and it, and it holds up even to today. It, it still kind of ignites the imagination. So, very Twilight Zone, actually. Yeah, it was. Very Twilight Zone-esque. And And also, yeah, very never-ending story, too. (laughs) But also, it had a good amount of actual horror in it. I mean, there was some very scary concepts in this story. Yeah, and some really creepy people. Yeah, and the whole, the sound effects. Wow, those are really amazing sound effects that really were eerie. Some of them were. Yeah. I felt like they were a little bit hit or miss. Some of them were kind of overdone, but... No, I mean, like, in the first episode where the doctor's, like, really having a hard time hearing. And oh, yeah, all, all of that, yeah. Yeah, that, yeah, that was all... That, I, I was thinking more like that door that was creaky, but then, like, it creaked for, like, a solid 30 seconds. <laughs> absolutely. At any rate, you've been listening to the Hooven Review. You can go to our Facebook page if you'd like, and... And all that other stuff that you've heard in all the other podcasts. So um, <laughs> we wanted to take a little bit of a break from uh, the current Doctor Who series and just wanted to go back to in time. Yeah, and so all four of us will be back in the new year for the new season. Yep, and that's where we'll be heading um, uh, next. We'll be Jodie Whittaker. Oh, my goodness. Uh, I hope this one's better. <laughs> It certainly looks like a good trailer. Yeah, it, it looks like it's going to be. It looks like, you know, some feedback from fans probably got through to the writers. Hopefully. And, yeah, We've hopefully. We've got, so got some classics coming back. At any rate, well, we'll see you all later. Bye. Happy New Year. Happy New Year.